Hi guys, welcome back to an all fresh episode of the Mastering Agility podcast, a podcast series with and for inspiring agilists, bringing you the best of the business. This podcast series is brought to you by agilitymasters.com, providing you with all the agile coaches and scrum masters you need. Make sure to go to the website right now, subscribe to that newsletter, and stay up to date with the latest information when it comes to this podcast. Today we have TEDx speaker, writer, consultant, workshop expert, thought leader, Jurgen Apollo. We're talking about flow KRs. Now, I was so rude to take him out of his flow when he was creating his new, newest, latest, freshest and upcoming blog post. That's going to be very interesting and I'm going to make sure to be posting that in the show notes as well. But join us and tune in for this awesome discussion with this really awesome man. Jürgen, welcome in today's show. Thank you for, very much for being here. Well, thank you, Sander. Sorry for being late, but uh, I am here finally <laughs> and glad to be here. Sorry to take you out of your flow. Speaking of <laughs> flow, I read your article about flow KRs and that really got me intrigued. Tell us what do you define as being flow KRs? Well, um, if you look at the literature around OKRs, um, particularly Measure What Matters by John Doerr, but there are other experts as well, they suggest that you have this three-month cadence for your objectives um, with uh, a planning uh, week or something, or at least a couple of days of planning of your OKRs and synchronizing them with other teams. And then three months of checking in on a regular basis. How are we doing? And at the end of three months, uh, you grade yourself. Did I do well? Did we do not well? Um, and then the whole cycle starts again. So far, so good. That looks suspiciously similar to Scrum. <laughs> Um, as defined, uh, only the sprints are longer, three months, instead of uh, 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 one or two weeks. Uh, but Scrum is also defined as planning, and then we have our dailies, and then at the end we have a review and retro, and it all starts again. Well, we have alternatives to Scrum. Uh, that's what the Kanban community has suggested. Uh, they said, hey, uh, you know what? That cadence, it, it is actually optional. If you focus on, on continuous flow uh, and um, move uh, even more towards a pool-based approach, uh, you're done when you're done. And then the next thing is moved into the in-progress column of your Kanban board. Um, and, uh, and then you don't need cadence anymore. And cadence is still useful because it's actually a psychological thing for humans. We like rhythm, so it is good to have check-ins on a regular basis, uh, but you don't need it as part of the, of the framework. And I thought, well, why don't we do the same thing with OKRs then? That is worth experimenting with. Um, why do we not have a a Kanban board with our objectives and their key results on how to measure them. You could say these are basically the acceptance criteria of your of your objectives, right? Um, and uh, you work on them until you think, uh, well, either this is not going to work, so why waste our time pursuing this objective any longer? It makes no sense to just sit out the rest of the three months. We throw it away or we think yeah we're done and this took i don't know three months or two months and two weeks or four months and one week why does it have to be exactly three months until you're satisfied about your objective so on a regular basis with a weekly check-in you decide whether you're done or not and and then you say when you say you're done you grade yourself and you pull the next objective onto the uh, or into the uh, in progress column um that's what i suggest i tongue-in-cheek call it uh, flow krs because <laughs> um, it seems to make sense to do things in a in a continuous flow um uh, approach and uh, actually i think this this makes it also easier to sort of connect it with the north star metric for example um, i've been around 
a couple of years ago around Europe, uh, talking with companies, startups and scale-ups, um, uh, the well-known uh, um, um, businesses that we can be proud of here in Europe, such as Type uh, TypePad, oh sorry, um, Typeform and and uh, Spotify and Flixbus and Intercom and they're all European scale-ups. That that's uh, awesome businesses, and nobody talks about objectives and key results or scaled agile frameworks or things like that. <laughs> But uh, they did reference North Star metric. It's a typical growth hacking term, a growth marketing term, but also in the wider context used by startups and scale-ups. And I thought, okay, well, uh, the North Star metric does not have a specific cadence. They say you focus on the metric that matters most to you now, but after a couple of months, it could be something different. Um, you decide, just check on a regular basis. Does it still make sense to pursue this thing? If not, switch it for something else. Sounds also more like a continuous flow uh, approach to me. So in that way, it connects better to what the North Star metric uh, suggests. Now, going back to the beginning of your, your what you were saying, having a continuous flow also fits the human nature. And I think that I do agree with that. Um, leaving out the, the time walks, though, do you feel that takes out also a sense of urgency? Yes, that's a very good uh, question. And uh, there is a risk of, of taking too long gold plating when we do not um, uh, uh, force ourselves to, to set time limits on, on our um, uh, objectives or the work, the work that we do. Um, but uh, that doesn't mean that this uh, these time limits have to be a fixed cadence of every couple of weeks or every couple of months. Uh, you could say, um, theoretically, for everything that you start, I give myself, this is worth this amount of time for me, so that's the time box that I give myself, and then you try to complete it, within that time box. I mean, I I do that myself. I I think perhaps subconsciously, whenever I start something new, whether it is designing uh, the, the, the next workshop or, or uh, preparing for um, a completely new keynote or whatever, um, I don't give myself unlimited time. I expect to be done with it after a, after a short while. That could be a few days, it could be sure a, a few weeks, give or take. Uh, a couple of hours or days, but um, it shouldn't be an endless thing. So it's it's good indeed to to limit yourself. Um, uh, others have said it before. Nothing focuses the human mind uh, uh, like uh, like a milestone or a deadline. <laughs> uh, so that's helpful, and maybe that is also why the cadence was introduced in the OKRs paradigm to give us that deadline approach. Um, but I think, and that's, I think what the Kanban community has taught us that you can, you can decouple it. You can decouple the, 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 uh, the, the flow, the, the OKRs or the, the work that you do um, from cadence and from milestones. Those are, those are different things. Uh, with 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 different purposes, um, like I have a cadence of drinking coffee, Sander. That's three three coffees per day, <laughs> once once around eight in the morning, once on three p.m. in the afternoon, and the last one in the evening. That's a cadence. That's not a milestone thing. It's, it's just me itself. Yeah, but it's it's not like I have this deadline of getting to my next coffee or something. <laughs> Some <laughs> people no do. Sense. Maybe for some, but but not for me. So the human need for things to have rhythm is something else, I think, than uh, our need to not waste our time gold-plating stuff and just set a reasonable time box on things and say, well, this activity is worth this amount of time. After that, it should be done. And uh, a good effort is better than a perfect effort because perfect just means I wasted my time on something that is actually not uh, generating value. That does have a little prerequisite, and that's to have at least a little bit of a, a, how do you call that discipline. You need to have the discipline to be able to move towards goals. And if I see in practice, there are so many 
organizations or teams or that are still thinking in the concept of, hey, there's always a next sprint. There's always, we can push this goal uh, along the line because there's no ex external motivation. Now, you are actively mentioning that you're an avid runner and runners get their runners high, that dopamine shot. How do you see this working and relating to, for instance, the OKRs? Are, does this connect to some sort of discipline, some sort of endorphin levels that we need to have this external motivation to move towards goals? Um, that's a great topic, and that's actually a segue into something else that I uh, that I am very interested in and and concerned with. I think we we rely too much on motivation and willpower in the agile community, um, and um, that doesn't work. <laughs> that actually doesn't work. That doesn't. That is not how people change their behaviors. I had to trick myself in many ways just to get myself to run. <laughs> um, and um, when you look at, at at how people change their own behaviors or behaviors of other people, you end up uh, you could end up in in, in the habit forming literature. Uh, I've read the books Tiny Habits, uh, Clear Habits uh, by Beji Fogg and James Clear and and other books. Uh, super interesting materials where, where they explain how we change our behaviors because sometimes we, we very much want to do something but it it just doesn't happen because one motivation is a very fickle thing is very unreliable actually there are times in the morning when I'm really not in the mood for running because <laughs> I, I just cannot just rely on my motivation uh, willpower is the other thing that is unreliable because it depletes. There are books about that by Angela Duckworth and others who describe that willpower is a like like a, um, it's a it's a muscle that can only be strong for a little while and then it it needs to recover from from um, doing its job. So relying only on on trying to motivate people and and calling upon that willpower to do something that's not enough you have to turn it into a habit so to give my well you you brought running to the <laughs> to the table as a topic and i use it often as a, as an example indeed uh, i i gamify it for myself I have these targets, weekly targets that I want to run, and then I feel good about myself, and I have an annual target that I set myself, and then I do these little games with myself, like when I when I run in a park, I, 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 I try to stay in the park for as long as possible without crossing an earlier path, so it's like playing snake in the park <laughs> itself, <laughs> and, uh, and those are fun things to do that's how i enjoy running by coming up with these games or so I, I, I went out the door and i said from now i can only do left right left right left right on every turn and then i'll just see where i end up in the city <laughs> um so that's that's gamification you make it fun you make it enjoyable with with things that have actually nothing to do with the running itself but it is it helps you with with turning something into a into a habit and I think as a community, the Lean Agile community at large, we have relied too much on, on writing books, uh, creating presentations and doing workshops. I'm raising my hand here <laughs> as a, a guilty party <laughs> and then just hoping that people will, as a result, change their behaviors. Well, guess what? That doesn't usually happen. Uh, you need to do more. And uh, yeah, I find that super interesting. So also now trying to figure out how can we turn OKRs, um, which is great framework, very useful uh, suggestions. Um, how can we turn that? Uh, how can we help people adopt that through some habit forming tricks? What are the what are the small habits that people could start with? Because Simply doing a full-blown OKRs framework uh, 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 right from the start, that's probably not going to work. The running books say something similar, actually. There's also habit-forming descriptions in the running uh, literature that I read because I've learned everything through reading books, even running. <laughs> I read five books on running. Nice. <laughs> and, the, uh, and the expert said, in the beginning, um, just put your shoes uh, next to your bed so that when you wake up, you're already in your shoes. 
and uh, and then just take a walk around the house. That's it. Just don't do anything more. Just take a walk around the house. That's it. And make that a habit because only when something is a habit, you get out of your bed, you get out of the house, you take a little walk, you go back in. Then you can start increasing the 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 difficulty level, and uh, and then you can aim for maybe two kilometers, maybe three, and at some point you're doing ten, and then finally you're you're enjoying it. Because <laughs> sadly, only after a good while, after doing running for a long time, then you notice that you actually feel really good. If you did 10K in the early morning, you feel good for the rest of the day. You don't have that feeling when you just, just do a walk around the house. Oh, exactly. So it, it's, it takes a while for these benefits to emerge, right? And it's the same probably for OKRs. It's the same for retrospectives. You'll have to do it for a good while to see the benefits of it. That means that in the short term, you'll have to gamify it. You have to make it fun. You have to treat yourself to chocolates and, and whatever, as long as you keep the habit, because the benefit will come at some point where you see what why you are really doing this in the, in the first place. Yeah. And how do you deal with this? Because I really like this. I really, really like this setup and this concept. But how do you deal with the short-term focus of most organizations that already expect, hey, Scrum needs to work within, I don't know, three months. Uh, and then magic needs to happen and Scrum needs to be there. That's uh -huh. one of the most, my experience at least, with most organizations um, that are really short-term focused. This, though, requires a long breath yeah well um indeed you said it yourself um if 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 someone wants to run a marathon i hope they don't go to personal trainers saying hey in two weeks there's a marathon teach me how to run a marathon well sorry <laughs> doesn't work like that <laughs> you should have come half a year earlier because it's going to take a while for you be able for you to be able to do that um i, I think it's the same with okrs you can I think you can explain that with, with such examples that everyone gets. Um, no, you don't see the benefits of OKRs next month. Um, expect it uh, after a year, maybe. But you'll have to work on your habits uh, for the year to, to achieve those long-term benefits. In the meantime, gamify it, make it fun, and, and make sure that, you, that, that it is a, a recurring thing every, uh, every week. Now, where do we start? Do we start on the operational level? Do we start high at sea levels? Do we start at teams? Where do we start implementing the OKRs? You start with the people, I think, who think it's fun <laughs> to to come up uh, and uh, with with objectives and their key results and to try this in the first place. And that can be anywhere in the organization. It's it's the same with 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 um, uh, switching to Scrum or Kanban or whatever. There's not a prescribed approach uh, saying, well, you have to start in this team or that team at the bottom or at the top. Um, anywhere can be a great place. You can climb a mountain from any side. Some sides will be easier than others for sure. Some might be difficult <laughs> or impossible, um, but there is not just one one path um it, it depends on the mountain i suppose the recommended approach so it depends on the organization where it's the best place to start um a good a good bet would be with the the the, the innovators and early adopters who think oh this is something cool uh, let's try it yeah um, what, what's realistic in in the amount of okrs because I can imagine there are so many things that you can start measuring and start making a, an objective uh, but if you have more multiple a multitude of OKRs, I can imagine that leads to context switching and a loss of focus. Uh, yeah. What do you feel is a good balance to start with? Well, uh, at this uh, point, I have just one, <laughs> just one, just one OKR. I don't allow myself even two. Um, and um, that might change after a couple of weeks because I will be applying flow KRs, continuous flow. I will still be working on this one, but when my confidence level is 
high for this one. I'm going to allow myself to move a second one in progress. That's the benefit of continuous flow, right? You think, okay, well, this is going uh, nice and I have capacity, so why not move another uh, sticky note to in progress, uh, even though um, this one I'm also still working on, but I cannot just finish this right now. It, it, it takes time for data to come in, uh, etc. So um, uh, in general, this, uh, the, the advice is about three objectives. Less is more. So if you can do with two, good for you. If you can do with one, perfect. That's actually what the North Star metric approach suggests, right? You have just one metric, the one metric that rules them all, <laughs> uh, they say. Um, I think that's a bit too simplistic because... If you really do that, you only focus on a North Star metric that you have the danger of, of optimizing one thing and then forgetting about other thing. You might be optimizing quality and then forgetting about quantity or, or vice versa. Uh, I like that about objectives and key results where the, the whole point is to have a couple of metrics for an objective. So you look at the objective from two, three, maybe four different sides and you say, well, this metric is a good one, but it's not perfect. So I will take another one to compensate for it and maybe a third from a different angle. And then we have three. I like that about OKRs. Then you can still say, well, out of those three, one is the most important one. Then that would be naturally your North Star metric. <laughs> but the OKRs framework insists on compensating that one with a couple of others so that you don't sub-optimize on just one number. So that's that's a good thing. But then if you have one OKR with three key results, as I have now, for example, um, yeah, that might still not be enough depending on context. Maybe your team can do two. Maybe your team can do three. I just finished uh, the book by Alan Kelly, um, well-known coach in the in the agile community uh, about uh, about OKRs, and his suggestion is 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 the same: uh, do two uh, two or three, uh, not more. Uh, that would be uh, probably be uh, too uh, uh, too diffuse uh, in terms of uh, of goals. These OKRs can be cascading into multiple levels. Could you take us through that? How that works throughout an organization? So, um, um, yeah, so in, in principle, every layer of an organization can have its own set of OKRs. So top management, that's usually where it starts when you have a full OKRs uh, framework implemented in the organization, then the, the executive team will have objectives as they do at Google and, and many other organizations. The management team they have objectives for the whole company and they say, well, this is what we find important. We measure this about the whole business and then this is published internally and then the, everyone else in the organization is expected to come up with their own objectives that resonate with the, the strategy of the, of the executive team. Um, so there should be some alignment. That's it, they call it an alignment framework, basically. You create alignment in the organization. But the nice thing is that every department or every business unit and, and every team creates objectives for themselves. So you, you make your own objectives by trying to relate them to what the others around you, the layer above, and the teams next to you are doing so that there is harmony, so that there's no conflicts in what you're trying to uh, achieve. Uh, dependencies are fine. You just have to synchronize on that. That's why it takes a week, they say, usually for the dust to settle down, for things to bounce up and down the hierarchy and sideways across teams so that everyone has seen each other's OKRs and say, okay, well, if you're Achieve, trying to achieve this, that we're going to tr uh, trying to do that. That seems to be uh, congruent with e with each other, um, and it all fits within the larger objectives of our business unit uh, that our managers have uh, uh, published for us, and they thought about how theirs align with the executive team, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So 
every layer can have their own couple of uh, OKRs, objectives with accompanying key results, the metrics, the targets. Um, and uh, the only debate that is basically still open is what to do at the individual level. I have read that most experts tend to uh, say, forget about that. It makes it too complicated when people individually in the organization also make their own OKRs. That's that's a bit too much of a of a good thing, yeah. uh, and I, I I can totally understand that. I do not have personal ex, uh, experience with with that uh, on my teams, but um, yeah, that seems a reasonable suggestion. Yeah, neither have I. It seems really granular. Uh, yeah. Is there someone who's responsible for the coordination of all these these different OKRs throughout the entire organization, or is that the responsibility of everyone individual who creates these OKRs? <laughs> Well, um, it is the responsibility of each team, each business unit that makes OKRs to make sure that they are aligned and synced with their environment. Um, I've just been reading up on, on the, uh, the, uh, the, the, the less framework, the large uh, scale scrum framework, where they say exactly the same thing about dependencies between scrum teams. So there's nobody managing dependencies. There's no dependency manager in the project management office or whatever. No, you're adults, you're smart people on a team. You know that your work is dependent on others. So talk about it with those others and either resolve the dependencies uh, that would be preferred or manage them uh, together. Uh, that sh should not be uh, be too difficult to just delegate to a self-organizing team. The, exactly the same applies to uh, to OKRs. They should be able to do that th themselves. They're, they're adults. That's a bold statement that, they, uh, that they're yeah. able to communicate. <laughs> People are scared here. I am optimistic about people's, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, at least their, their, their motivation to communicate. <laughs> I like that. Other abilities. Now, the correlation between the product vision, the product goals, backlog, wishlist, because I know you have an aversion for the word of backlog. Um, what's the, the correlation there, or are they not mutually exclusive? Like, what, what comes first, the backlog or the, 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 the goals or the OKRs? Yeah, well, I'm glad that you asked because over the last 20 years, there's been a lot of discussion about uh, backlog refinement and uh, backlog prioritization and estimation and making different segments in your backlog, uh, the, the top of the mountain and the middle of the mountain and the bottom of the mountain. And, um, and um, yeah, I, I also didn't know anything, any better approach <laughs> than than that. But then um, Alan Kelly and others, because uh, I'm just borrowing uh, uh, um, wise words from, from other people here who are often smarter than I am, um, they say, make OKRs your primary driver of what you're going to do next. Um, and that makes total sense to me. If you have objectives uh, planned, because you're only working on two, maybe three at a time, but you probably have a few others on your mind. Like I said, I have one OKR now, but I know five that I would like to do at this point. Uh, they're in my planned column. That's my that's my backlog or roadmap at the high level, right? Those are the next thing I want to do uh, uh, managing my business. Now, I also have a Trello board full of ideas, full of stuff that I would like to be doing, tiny little features, changes to my websites and social media accounts or, or workshop materials and multiple Trello boards, actually. But um, uh, all of those are just ideas. It's just Options. I like the word options, as suggested by Jim Benson and and, and other friends. Um, and um, you just noted that I don't like the word backlog. Indeed, I, I just said that yesterday also in a, a keynote talk for a company, which actually it's a, such a bad word that we have chosen because the dictionary says that a backlog is stuff that we should have done and that is waiting for us to do, basically. Like a backlog of orders that need to be fulfilled. When I make an order at an online website, that becomes 
uh, that that order ends up in the backlog of that website and they will have to do that <laughs> the, that's the whole point of a backlog that stuff we still have to process um, we know in the agile community that this is not how we treat the word backlog we say well this is all the stuff that customers want from us but we know they're going to change their minds <laughs> we know that they come up with something else next week so 90 percent of what they gave us may not even be ever implemented at all because the environment changes we know that in the agile community but outsiders do, do not have that agile mindset and they often have the traditional interpretation of backlog in their mind so they say hey we gave you all these tickets when is it done because <laughs> you have this backlog they, they use the correct word there you have this backlog of work uh, when do i get that thing that i asked half a year ago <laughs> so that's the problem with the word backlog it's it should be a bucket list a wish list a list of options my trello boards are full of options but the objectives are what should really be driving my my work so as soon as i move an objective from planned to in progress then that's the great great uh, the perfect timing to connect that objective with 10 20 things i have on my backlog somewhere uh, that uh, of which i can say well this would help me get that objective done so now i will move those uh, items or tickets or issues or what do you call them on uh, their respective uh, Trello boards to the next column. It's okay, well, let's, uh, let's get started with these then. Those have been ideas that have been lying around for months. Now we can finally start. And that reduces the need to prioritize that backlog and, and, and everything because you just look at your objectives and and only when an objective moves to in progress uh, you take the appropriate um, backlog items uh, with it how do you make sure then that the focus still remains on the stakeholders and the users because i can imagine that uh, the objectives itself might be very quantitative for us as an organization but not necessarily for users well, um, my current objective is to create a successful workshop. And that is very much uh, customer driven uh, because it is successful if they give me uh, uh, good reviews of my workshops, if they show up on my workshops, uh, uh, if they are willing to pay a fee for that. Um, so that is the, the whole uh idea of objectives that they should always be outcomes and not tasks of things to do this is often a mistake in uh, a, a, a beginner's mistake for people who, who start with uh, okrs that they put activities on the list of key results and that they start measuring how much work they have done that's output you should not be uh, having output metrics uh, uh, as your key results uh, with your OKRs. They should be outcome metrics, and those outcomes depend on what customers do. Usually, the, 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 the behaviors of stakeholders, you measure if your work had a beneficial effect uh, on the behaviors of, of your stakeholders, usually customers. So you know, the customer experience is wrapped up in there depends if you define your objective well uh customer experience oriented and if you have key results that measure uh, behavior of uh, uh, happy satisfied uh, customers and once you've set these okrs are they open for refinement for the, the goals to adjust as we go because for instance a sprint goal to keep it to scrum a sprint goal doesn't change the sprint goal is a commitment are we able to adjust um, our OKRs as we've already started working on them? Uh, sure, and I think in the beginning this will happen more often than later because you need to get the hang of it. Um, I noticed in the past that we, with, with a team that I work with um, uh, recently, that we enthusiastically started with an OKR and then once we got going it turned out that the data was really, really hard to get. Uh, it was actually practically impossible to to measure what we thought would be easy. 
so that means along the way, after one or two weeks, you find out, okay, maybe we should change this key result uh, into something that is actually trackable. Um, and uh, the, those mistakes are easy to make in the beginning. Uh, you need a bit of experience to, to realize that metrics are sometimes harder to come by than you thought. Um, uh, and particularly if you want to automate <laughs> everything. Uh, so, um, so that takes a little bit of experience. That's an example of a decent reason to fine tune your OKRs along the way. Because let's face it, when you do Scrum, you have sprints, it takes just a week. Uh, assuming one week sprints, um, that's not a lot of time. Uh, so I understand that overall, you don't really change your sprint goals. You don't really change uh, things within that week. But an OKR can easily take three months. Um, a lot of things can happen in three months. Um, if you use the cadence approach, uh, then there could be really valid reasons for uh, changing an OKR after a month or a month and a half. It's like, well, this is clearly not working. Uh, if we want uh, the rest of the, this three-month period to be any useful, we should swap it out or modify it so that it makes sense. Uh, why not? I mean, it's your it's your objective, your targets, you deal with it. Uh, I, I change my, my uh, running targets all the time, <laughs> uh, depending on circumstances. So, uh, and, and I'm fine with that because I own them. It's, it's, my, it's my measurements, my objectives, nobody else's. As long as you're able to learn from them. Cause as, yeah, exactly. And as long as they don't kill me. <laughs> that would be a rather nice objective. Um, yeah. But these way, if you put it like this, that seems that OKRs are fully supportive uh, of the whole empirical process control, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, process control is a well-known term in Scrum. Um, uh, it uh, empirical process control. It's it's uh, the same in OKRs. It's the same principles there. It's empiricism is measuring your actual. Um, uh, uh, accomplishments. Uh, I want to achieve this as measured by that. That is basically the template of, of OKRs. And um, so it, it's no wonder that they go uh, hand in hand. And I, I like the, the, the notion of, of, uh, of uh, this, this adding something to the Agile community that we sort of missed in, in the last 20 years. Because, yes, we had product visions. We had the, the whys. It starts with why, et cetera. We, we, we know that, that this is important as a company. Um, and then we sort of fell down to the backlog level <laughs> and we have this <laughs> bunch of things that we want to do, all these requests by customers, and now we have to somehow prioritize all that stuff. Well, there's actually a large gap between that why uh, and that day-to-day -day work. So we, we, we climbed up one level with the sprint goal, which is useful <laughs> to sort of capture what we do in one week, um, but with OKRs, we sit there right in the middle. They say that's the, the, the three-month horizon is, is exactly the kind of thing that seemed to be missing in, in the Agile frameworks that we worked with. They, they try to solve that somehow by defining epics or something, but nobody in the whole community agrees on what exactly an epic is. There are at least three different definitions of epics. Um, and um, so, yeah, I think OKRs uh, paradigm, which came from outside of the Agile community, as many other good things, actually, uh, they have helped us to make a next step and, and solve a problem there in the in the midterm of our planning. Yeah, the epic discussion is also an epic mess up. Um, <laughs> yeah. What do you think of the latest uh, addition? You mentioned three months, um, the latest addition to the 2020 Scrum Guide, just to keep it with Scrum for, for sake of discussion is the product goal, which is relatively, as Roman Pitchler puts it, let's say six months. Do you, would you consider that OKRs are relatively a product goal as well? Or would you even say that the OKRs could be a step between sprint goals as well as a product goal? To be honest, I haven't really looked into the latest changes of the Scrum Guide. Uh, I had no time for that. Um, I, I did have a look at... Um, 
um, what either Scrum.org or Scrum Inc. I don't know, but one of them came up with evidence-based management, uh, which also seems like just a weak version of OKRs. Is, well, why don't why don't you do it the proper way? There's OKRs already. <laughs> why don't why do why do you f- define your own your own thing? That is just a like a summary <laughs> of of what OKRs has already been out there. So. Yeah, it does not surprise me that some try to fill in the gaps in the middle, um, but I think there's no need for that if you just adopt OKRs. Makes sense. And last question, or second to last question. You've been mentioning a lot of books throughout this this recording. What do you think, or what has been your best read in the last couple of months not necessarily related to this subject but what is has been your best read uh, in the last couple of months oh um good question well i am very interested in uh, a couple of topics that i did some reading around so okrs this is one of them so i already mentioned uh, alan kelly's uh, book i don't know the title off the top of my head to be honest um, there's another book by uh, Heidi Helfand, uh, not sure if I, I pronounce her name correctly, it's called Dynamic Reteaming, which I think is a crucial concept for us to uh, to uh, uh, learn, and actually that is also what my upcoming blog post is going to be about, because um, I believe uh, that um, very often the suggestion to have stable teams has resulted in static teams. And stable teams is a good thing, but static teams is not. Um, You're not agile if you require your teams to be static for a long time. Well, it is impossible for people to change teams uh, and switch to another uh, because of their career development, personal development, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. Um, there's a risk of uh, suboptimization at the team level of a team culture emerging uh, that is different from other team cultures where you have competition among teams. All of that can have negative side effects. I prefer the idea that it should be relatively easy for people to roam around teams depending on the customer experience, what is needed, and depending on the employee experience, how to keep the people happy in your organization, to give them opportunities for development, etc. Because uh, often the customer experience goes beyond just one team. Uh, it is multiple teams who are responsible for the customer experience, and you want to optimize that experience. You don't want to optimize what happens on one team. That is not an argument to keep people on, on the same team. So Heidi describes ways to achieve uh, dynamic reteaming, trying not to hurt performance of a team uh, by allowing people to move around, uh, team rotation, uh, team switching, uh, things like that. Super interesting. The the other book, if I may, um, is uh, um, well known by now, Team Topologies by Matthew Skelton and Manuel Pais, uh, about the four types of teams, uh, super useful stuff. Um, I did not get further a couple of years ago than the vague suggestion that all teams should be value units. And that's as far as I got in my thinking, (laughs) which is still true, but rather abstract. Every team needs to offer value to either customers or other teams. And they basically brought this one or two steps further by defining the exact kinds of value units, which I'm really grateful for because that makes it concrete, makes it actionable. Um, and um, yeah, that's that's another a really good book that I, that I read uh, recently. Sounds awesome, especially because I feel that now that most organizations got the hang of why they should incorporate an agile mindset, we're slowly but gradually starting to shift towards how people should be engaged and how people should be, well, you've had a I think it was the TEDx talk to manage for happiness um, mm-hmm. that we shift more to how to get people and how to make people more happy within the workspace. So that's a really yeah, awesome suggestion. And, uh, 
Yeah, 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 sure. And um, um, it's it's my it's my new favorite topic, basically, that the customer experience and the employee experience they practically go hand in hand. I've suggested before that there's there's very little difference between a product man- a manager and a change manager. You're just trying to change different people or have different people have a better experience. The one is focuses on customers, the other focuses on employees. But all the tricks in the book, all the all the, the things that you do to achieve that, they are very similar, uh, uh, except for the, the for, for the details. Um, so the experience, customers' experience of employees are both good things. And you see it now, particularly in North America, where there's uh, the great resign, <laughs> the great resignation, they call it. <laughs> People quitting their jobs, they've had it <laughs> with with their employers. Uh, fortunately, we have done a better job apparently here in Europe, uh, where we do not have a great resignation, but um, I'm sure many people uh, could do with a better working environments. Uh, so, um, um, yeah, that's um, that's another reason for uh, um, dynamic reteaming and team topologies uh, uh, to be included uh, uh, in your library because they they talk about these uh, these things as well as part of us having having employees be happier in their uh, in their jobs. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the mass resignation feels like it ties back together with my um, with a short discussion I had with Lisa Atkins in my previous episode, where we were discussing the level of capitalism in the US. And to me, it feels like, because you mentioned that we're doing a different job in Europe, um, corporate America is still super focused and hyper-focused on capitalism. And now we're gradually moving away from that uh, and people starting to see the downsides of the levels of capitalism. How do you, what's your your view on that? Well, um, uh, it depends on how you define it. Um, uh, I, I try not to use the word capitalism too much because it has such a negative connotation nowadays. <laughs> but for me, it is nothing more than economic self-organization. Um, and yes, self-organization is neither good nor bad. It just is. It does what it does. Uh, you also have biological self-organization, and we call that the biosphere or nature. And there are really good things happening in nature and really bad things happening in nature. Nature has no ethics. It has no morals. It just exists. And the same applies to capitalism. It has no ethics. It has no morals. Uh, it just does what it does. So that's why we end up with with bad side effects uh, uh, that are apparently unmanaged in certain parts of, of the world. That's what we have government for and i'm a i'm a small government libertarian i i know that at a certain point we need government to take care of the excesses of 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 uh, the, the the bad sides of self-organization uh, so yeah capitalism get a, gets a bad rap and in some cases deservedly so um i just shared a blog post uh, uh not written by me but by but on forbes from somebody else uh, i believe about um uh, about amazon uh, relentless customer focus uh, employee experience is a nightmare yeah. apparently uh, uh, at least for a part of the of the workforce so that sort of proves that delighting your customers is not enough <laughs> And I've had this discussion with Steve Denning and others before who have a quite a large focus on delighting customers. And I've always said that's just one of the things that you need to do. You have another stakeholder there, that's the employee. You can easily delight the customer by screwing your employees. And the customer doesn't care, um, but uh, the employee does. And I, as a manager, care as as well. So. I, I see them as on on equal level. There are others, such as Richard Branson, who have the opposite uh, approach. They say you should delight your employees, and then they will take care of delighting your customers. I think that could also be naive in certain contexts. <laughs> um, you just have to make sure you do both. Um, and um, yeah, maybe we have a better balance of that here in Europe, you could say. We do not maybe have these extreme examples as uh, Amazon um, uh, uh, on this side of the pond. Um, but um, yeah, that's, well, you asked me for my take on capitalism. That's it. <laughs> uh, thank you very much for that. I think there are so many different angles that we can take that into. Oh, yeah. Um, 
let's let's do that at a different moment um last question where can people find you where can people engage with you for instance getting your workshops or reading your upcoming blog post to be released tonight at the 23rd of september so uh yeah i i now publish my uh work on uh my website shiftup.work so that's shiftup.work uh, there, I also grow a community of people interested in what comes after um, management theory, Spotify model, uh, what, what hybrid working. Uh, we have a completely new age uh, uh, ahead of us, in my opinion, where the things that were true for the last 20 years do not necessarily apply anymore. Like, don't try and tell people to be co-located in the same room. I mean, they will laugh you. <laughs> at you. That's that's not going to work anymore. And as an obvious example. So, yeah, I'm I'm trying to see what is ahead of us and um as I said, experience for me is a big thing. I, we made the switch from projects to products successfully, I think in the agile world. The next step is from product to experience. That is something we still need to learn because the product is still a smaller part of the entire experience that the customer has with an organization. And I can give you examples of great products, bad experiences, and vice versa uh, with actual examples uh, uh, from, uh, from my own life. So ultimately, we want people to have a great experience, not just having them use a good product. So... Yeah, that's my next uh, horizon, you could say, if you're interested in that. Uh, find me on shiftup.work and, of course, my personal website, um, the where you find my uh, pretty face and things like that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm definitely looking forward to reading that blog because I'm really interested in your views and how we're going to move forward from now on, especially with a co-location um, and how to move with mindsets like the, the Spotify uh, organization did. Jurgen Aplo, thank you very much for being here. I really appreciate this discussion. Thank you, Sander, for the invite. It was a pleasure. Talk to you soon. I would like to thank our guest and you, the listener, for joining us again in this episode of Mastering Agility. This podcast is part of a series, so make sure to follow us on all the platforms that we provide. We're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Buzzsprout, Google Podcasts, you name it. Make sure to go to the website of agilitymasters.com to subscribe to the newsletter in order to stay up to date on the latest information. Check out the show notes and how you can engage with our guests and myself to provide feedback, ask questions, um, more general inquiries, whatever. I would love to hear from you. Next week, we have another amazing episode lined up, so make sure to tune in again. Until then... <laughs>